You're listening to Bits of Me, a podcast for women to share their stories without censoring themselves. We talk about everything from bulging bits and bleeding to motherhood, hormones and the all-too-common struggle to get healthcare practitioners to take our pain seriously. In this episode, I talk to Carly Bailey, a mother of two smallies and activist on social, economic and feminist issues, including housing, education and repeal. She's now a Sock Dems councillor on the South Dublin County Council. Carly has polycystic ovary syndrome and endometriosis, both of which made it very difficult for her to get pregnant. In this episode of Bits of Me, she shares her story of infertility, IVF, miscarriage and postnatal depression. Is there a point in time or a specific moment when you remember thinking that having kids or getting pregnant might not be all that easy for you? Is there like a specific time when you started suspecting that something was wrong? Yes, um, I do. I remember we had had a conversation. We said we would start uh, trying, but like we were very relaxed about it. Um, because we were building a house at the po- at that time, oh, yeah. um, living with my parents, <laughs> so it wouldn't have been um, <laughs> ideal timing. But at the same time, we were just like, eh. It was more a case of like, we just stop using contraception and let's just see what happens, whatever. And didn't really think very much about it after that. And it was probably almost a year later that I went to my GP about a very unrelated thing. I hadn't even gone to her about this. I wasn't really you know we were very very relaxed about it we're like whatever like it's fine um and I had talked to her about a few things and she had said that she thought maybe I might have um polycystic ovary syndrome okay um because I was having difficulty with like weight gain and a few other bits and pieces so she sent me off for um ultrasounds and to be referred to the the gynae and stuff like that and it was at that point um she also had said look you know um this may may be difficult. I know you're recently married. I don't know if you're you're trying or whatever, but it might make things a little bit difficult for you. And I was like, oh, well, that's weird because actually we've been doing this for a year mm. <laughs> and nothing's happened so far. So that was really the first time. And it was when I got home then, I did the usual, what everybody does. I Googled polycystic ovary syndrome because I had never heard of it before. Didn't know anybody who had it and got the shock of my life when I started reading about it. What did you find? Uh, that it's quite common, um, which I found shocking that I didn't know anybody, or at least at the time, mm. nobody spoke about it. There was nobody really talking about it. Um, but also that it can be, uh, yeah, a significant cause or a factor for infertility. Mm. And like, I mean, we were, I was very young, like I married very young and I was only 25 or 26 when we started trying. So um, I was still kind of, I guess, kind of thinking, well, look, you know, we've got plenty of time it's like I'm sure it'll be fine they'll figure out something to get this all figured out and it'll be grand and of course it wasn't um grand and I was also experiencing very heavy periods very painful periods but I'd had that pretty much all my life um since the moment I got my first period I think it was 12 or 13 um I used to have very irregular periods. They would last for maybe three, four weeks at a time. Then I wouldn't have one again for months. And they were all over the place and very painful all through my my secondary school years. And um, 
I just remember the minute I was able to, once I, I turned 18, I went to the GP and got the bill. Yeah. <laughs> that was that. Yeah. Like, so I didn't really think about it again. And it was only later on that I also discovered I had endometriosis, but that was a very long time further on. So I had the two issues kind of coinciding. Yeah. Um, and both both kind of requiring almost different kinds of treatments and each treatment sort of nearly impacts on the other one. So you take something that might help your endometriosis, but it might actually make the PCOS worse oh, okay. and vice versa. So it's very so, difficult to manage it. So when you when you spoke to that doctor who said that she suspected that you might have polycystic ovary syndrome, um, what happened after that? Uh, did you go to kind of try and get a diagnosis or something or what happened with yeah. the trying and stuff? So at that moment, like this is pre- uh, 2008 recession crash doom gloom like I had at the time imagine health insurance <laughs> <laughs> remember that <laughs> remember that um I had health insurance at the time so I got a, a referral to um the gynae in our local general hospital um pretty quickly and um that wasn't a brilliant experience now I'm not going to lie so it kind of started out with like he did some scans, did some bloods, um, and sort of said, yeah, like you have polycystic ovary syndrome and what we're going to do is we're going to put you on a pill or a medication called Clomid. Um, so, um, that was not a very fun experience for me at all. Um, so Clomid is something where it basically looks to try and boost the ovaries into producing tons of eggs. And it also really can mess around with your hormones and stuff. Like that. Now, some some women can take it and like it's it's not too bad, and other women can take it and it can really interfere with a lot of things. So and it did with me in a big way. Like I had had massive highs and lows during it. I only was taking it for about a three month cycle. I'd take it for a month. We were trying, nothing would happen. Take it again and again. Um, but I found the 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 emotional um, aspects of it really, really massive. It had a big impact on me and my body mm. and my, my mental well-being. And um, I found it really, really difficult. And I remember like it, we were getting, you know, taking the drug. He wasn't doing any scans to see whether it was actually working. So whether I was actually ovulating or not, because mm. with PCOS, it can prevent ovulation. Yeah. Um, so I was taking it, going through like hell with the side effects and he wasn't even checking to see was the medication actually doing what it was supposed to be doing. And then after the end of three months, we still weren't pregnant. Um, and I was like, you know, I've been doing a lot of reading, as you do um, at the time. And it was like, should like anything I've read is basically sort of said, like, you know, infertility could be either me or either my partner. So, like, is there a reason why my partner hasn't been checked mm. out? <laughs> and he was like, oh, well, yes, I suppose we should do that. Yeah. So you put me through all that. I'd also, sorry, I'd had a laparoscopy um, as well, lap and die to, to check. After the clomid had finished, I had a lap, a lap and die done. And at that point, I discovered that my fallopian tubes were blocked. Both okay. of them. Blocked and he had managed to, what? Blo- well, this is the thing. I didn't really know. He just said they're blocked and didn't really give me much of a, an explanation. And I was very groggy and out of it and didn't really understand what he was talking about. And then... Uh, he had said basically though that it's okay because I've managed to unblock one of those and you know hopefully you'll be able to figure this out after that and I was like okay grant so I didn't because I didn't worry too much about the block I didn't know what that meant I just assumed I should know what that meant and I mm. didn't know what that meant so I didn't like to ask if that made, made sense but I suppose at that point it was when I was like kind of going god have I had like an STI has something kind of happened the, the infection has gotten to a point where it's, you know you, you start to think about all these things and mm. it's like Christ and this is really bad and it was at that point I was like you know my partner hasn't been checked out so like he had me go through all of that like months of of this horrible 
Clomid and then a lap and dying up to check me out. I still hadn't checked my partner's sperm game. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's just like it could be it's 40 40 and then 10 percent is unexplained. It's, it, they don't they don't ever always know what's caused it. So eventually they did one. Now it's fine. His swimmers were grand, but like it's not the point. He should have been checked. Mm. So so then you kept trying for a number of years. Is that right? Um. Well, we continued to try after that. All right. He basically at that point said, look, um, there's nothing more I can do here. Uh, you need to go to the Sims clinic. And I didn't know what a Sims clinic was. No. I thought it was a thing. <laughs> right? I was like, oh, OK. Um, now, I do. I feel really kind of naive um, looking back on. And I was like, I mean, I was 26 or whatever, 27. I, I couldn't say boo to a ghost goose what's the phrase at at the moment at that time I was you know quite quite shy and very sort of not very assertive and all the rest of it like he actually patted me on the head during that consult that last consultation wow I'll never forget that you know um I'm I'm feeling very sort of very much like a failure and going home again googling sims clinic and discovering it was an IVF clinic and that there were several other ones we could have could have used or whatever so at that point we had um started to consider adoption and fostering and we said we would maybe go down the fostering route um, and and see where that took us you know Mm. so that's what we did and we still continue to try ourselves obviously and um, we did all the training for the fostering we had the inspection and at the same time we'd gone for a consultation with the Sims Clinic because we didn't have any money and um, we were able to get a loan from the credit union. So we said, look, we'll, we'll give it a go and see what they say. And, you know, they they seem fairly positive about it, given my age. Um, so quite, like it was under 30, um, seemed to be fairly sure that it, it shouldn't be any really, you know, big hardship or whatever. So mm. we said we'd give it, um, give it a go. Um, and we did. And it was our first time. So we were living 100 miles away from the clinic. So as anybody who's experienced IVF will know, it's very arduous in, in time in terms of time for that cycle that you're doing it a life cycle so you have to go up every couple of days to be scanned you're mm. taking the medications they give you, a, a, you know, everyone has their own individual like drug protocol they have to take and injections and all, all sorts of pessaries and and medications and, and things like that um and then obviously you then go for egg retrieval they try and find what they can find and what they found with me was that I didn't despite the, the protocol I was on I didn't really produce that many eggs um for my particularly for my age and they were quite concerned about that mm. and um they said look we'll see what happens so they they tried to create the embryos at that point and they came out with four embryos which they I thought was brilliant but they said like unfortunately one of them only one of them was really of any kind of good quality the others were not okay. of great quality at all they didn't expect um anything major from them so that was really disappointing obviously um but they implanted two and um we had to wait for the two weeks as you do mm-hmm. um and nobody does so we cheat and we start you know testing earlier and earlier and I got a positive line um within about six or seven days I think it was and that grew you know it became more prominent over the, the, the couple of days and then at the 14 days after uh, the transfer yeah we had a, a positive result so mm. it was our first go and we got a you know it was a a, a big fat positive or bfp um at the time there was it was a roller coaster was the the internet forum of choice for, yeah. for anybody kind of going through this so made a ton of friends on there um and uh yeah it was a really great support system for me and so we were delighted absolutely delighted with life just thought this is the the most incredible thing like you know we at that point we had been trying for 
three years, I think it was, and had never gotten pregnant. Mm. So we were thrilled, so, so happy. And um, it was great. And I felt pregnant, you know, that kind yeah. of way. Like, I remember that. Like, I felt ill and I felt tired and I was absolutely delighted to have sickness. <laughs> and it was like, oh, this is the best thing that had ever happened. And I was on an absolute high um, for a good few weeks. And then I just remember one night I woke up with a massive pain felt around my ovary kind of around that area and it yeah. lasted for about 10 seconds but it woke me and I remember going mm, don't like that and then the next morning some spotting I thought oh here we go mm. um, but then it cleared up and nothing happened for a couple of days except that I then no longer felt pregnant like I genuinely didn't feel pregnant anymore and mm. um, the symptoms all just seemed to kind of work away so I had obviously contacted and we got blood tests done and yeah, it turned out it was a an unviable pregnancy, as they called it. And that was at how many um, weeks? I think I was about eight weeks. Right. Early enough, but mm. like anybody who's gone through a miss and and it's a very wanted pregnancy yeah. um, knows how 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 awful that is. But I suppose. And it's not even about the money, but like, you know, there was a huge amount of money goes into it. There's a huge amount of emotional investment goes mm. into it. It's 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 very difficult on relationships and and. There's a lot they have to go through work and you're trying to get time off and there's just so much gets gets go and you've so much that you're trying to ride on with it like so but anyway it was it was a mess so in in terms of of um your life situation and like you were saying the the cost of it which as far as i understand is a lot um Mm -hmm. and you know the the relationship and having been trying for years what was that time like for you I mean between making various decisions about whether to even go for it in the first place and finding the money and all that it's 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 one of those like I've had a few not very nice moments in my life but it's up there it's one of those and it'll always stay with me Mm. and like I'm very fortunate I mean obviously the end of the story is I have two beautiful children now but it's it's scarred me it has stayed with me um and I don't think it's it's a traumatic experience there's no two ways about that um, and we were very fortunate to have come out the other side of it. Um, but like I'm, I'm very aware that lots of couples don't, you know, and that could be absolutely heartbreaking. Um, yeah, I, I think it's like we'd always heard that, you know, you'd always hear, oh, IVF, that that's real tough. Like, but I think it's 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 one of these things until you're kind of going through it and you just it's just it's all intensive. It's all it's all you can think about because it is all you can think about because there's so much going on every day. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to take this. You need to take that. You need mm. to go get checked out here. You know, it's 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 just so um, it takes up so much of your, your mind with that particular miscarriage for me will stay with me. And it kind of I suppose it 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 was what led me into other various forms of activism, I suppose, and as much as at that point they had sort of said, look, you know, the, the, the HCG levels are high enough that you are technically still pregnant, but we can see that they're falling. So this is an inevitable miscarriage and there's nothing we can do currently. Mm, um, because of and I, the Eighth Amendment that you couldn't... It, well, yeah. that, I didn't realise and understand that at the time. That's yeah. exactly what it was. Yeah. So I was like, OK, so like I said, what happens now? They said, you're going to have to wait. You're going to pass this naturally and, and it'll happen. And obviously, if something doesn't happen within a week, give me a call back. And I remember saying, a week? Like, yeah. I think it's, I think everybody has a different reaction with miscarriage. Um, and for me, um, I very much just wanted it to be over. Mm. I, I, I 
want it to be over because I was also in denial about what was going on but I, I just wanted it to be finished and done with it. I just wanted to move on mm. I didn't want to think about it I didn't want to have to deal with it and I wanted it gone mm. I wanted it done and it didn't happen that way unfortunately and a week passed and nothing had happened and I rang back again and they said look we'll have to leave it another week and maybe oh, at that God. point we'll, we'll bring you in and like I don't remember that next week I've always said that like I kind of I think I had a bit of a breakdown I was in a sort of a catatonic state like my husband would always say because like, you were just lying there and you couldn't talk you were just not there you were kind of gone somewhere else mm. I was absolutely devastated but leaving me like that for the two weeks for me was the cruelest part because mm. there was something they could have done they could have got brought me in and that would have been the end of it um, and then I could have moved on and figured out, you know, what we're doing. But they didn't do that. Um, and I suppose, again, you hear of uh, or had heard subsequently about, you know, women who were told that their babies weren't viable, mm. you know, in post and, and being left to have to carry that to term um, and having yeah. no option to do anything about that here. That really that really struck me because yeah. I only had two weeks. Do you know what I mean? And within the two weeks I did, um, I did miscarry. And um, thankfully it it. it no major um, issue or whatever but it, it was horrendous you know it really horrendous and I think it, it really that was the, kind of the very first time my mental health was very badly impacted very mm. badly impacted um, so I straight away was like right that's it we're doing it again we're going again mm. my husband was just like uh, maybe we should just have a little time because he could see I was, was definitely not myself I'd be normally quite a laid back kind of positive person and mm. I wasn't that person anymore. I'd kind of turned into um, something I didn't really like myself really, you know. Um, but I insisted and I was like, nope, <laughs> let's do it. Let's do this right now and have to get this. It almost became like a, a challenge or something. It was just weird. I don't know. My head just wasn't in a great place at all. Um, so, like, you know, I very much think we, we rushed too soon into that second um, second round and um, they had sort of said, look, we'll we'll do a fresh IVF rather than freeze un- like uh, defrosting the, the the frozen embryos that I had left over from the first cycle because they weren't of great quality. Mm. So look, we'll try that and just um, we'll try a new cycle if, if like, we agreed to that. And again, we had to borrow money and we had a bit of help from some family as well um, at that point and so we went at it again and it was just a no, didn't work, didn't, like, and I mean, we were, like, I just remember I was being very argumentative, I was very defensive, I was very, like, you know, I had no patience and I'd I'd get very angry over the littlest thing and, you know, mm. the kind of way, like, so um, it wasn't a great time um, at all because, I mean, God, I think IVF will either, it can make and break relationships, it's one of those kinds of things, you know. Yeah. And I can like very much see the first time we were all like, hey, we're having a laugh. This is funny. Like, we'll try and make light of it. Like, it's no big deal. Second time, it was like, oh, this is such a big deal. Like, it's such a yeah. big deal. And you can see how much you can you can lose from it. And I didn't handle it very well at all. And I didn't handle the um, the, the negative result at all very well. So I agreed at that point. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take um, we'll take a bit of time out. But we also didn't have enough money for another cycle. So we had to wait a while just to kind of figure out how we were going to do that. Um, do you mind me asking how much money we're talking? Yeah, at the time, like, I mean, my, my daughter's 10 now, so it's going back a little bit. Um, At the time, the first cycle, I suppose, was around about maybe about 6,000, but we didn't have, um, 
there was lots of other things that could have been like extras to that that didn't we didn't necessarily go with the second one was a bit more expensive because we did the third one was very expensive because they threw the kitchen sink at us um wow but yeah like and that's not including like the cost of traveling up and down every second day Mm. to dublin and back and um you know you would have had to get blood done in your own gp surgeries sometimes and, and that kind of stuff like so um yeah like i mean I wouldn't say any cycle at this point is probably much less than 10 um, at this stage. I, like, I don't know, actually, I'm not sure about what yeah. the cost is now, but I, I, I'd imagine um, because technology would have changed as well, I'm sure, at this point, yeah. you know. So um, the only help that we had, I mean, so, again, sort of my first foray into activism at that point was actually, you know, discovering that there wasn't any help for couples mm. um, experiencing infertility. And uh, I remember, like, creating my first online petition, <laughs> And like lobbying Mary Harney, who was Department of Health at the time, uh, the minister, and uh, getting on my, my roller coaster buddies and everybody like out signing and stuff, like getting it in there. And uh, then, of course, uh, 2008 happened. So <laughs> that was the end of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah, we, we kind of carried on with the fostering route for a while. Just wasn't sure what we wanted to do or how we were going to get there. And, um, I think it was the following, early the following year, um, another family member um, offered to help us with another round because they could see how, how badly impacted we were, which was amazing. Mm. Like Both of our families were so, so generous and so good um, with it. And um, yeah, so we went again and it was about a year after the first one, I think, really. And it kind of it coincided with the, the anniversary of the miss and, and you know, it was all... Yeah. Oh, so this time around, they decided that they were going to, as I said, throw the kitchen sink at me. So I was on like this wacky drug protocol. Um, I also was getting whatever they had like on a fresh cycle, whatever embryos they could make, they were going to put them all in me, and mm. they were going to free unfreeze the uh, the frozen embryos and stick them into. So they were prepared okay. to put in as many as needed, like which is very like very unusual for for somebody that was twenty eight or twenty nine, I think at the time. Yeah be very unusual to do that but like they were like look we need to do something and so I was like right okay so off we went and we did everything and um it ended up from that that last one and and they had said like this is our last chance with you we wouldn't do another cycle with you because there's just too much Mm. going on and it was at that point I discovered I had endometriosis because they said actually what's causing the difficulties around this is the endometriosis around your ovaries and it's, it's kind of all around everywhere and it's causing so they were able to say to you that yeah. that was the the difficulty or the problem that, basically that and the PCOS this... yeah the two of those things combined, okay, combined. making it very difficult yeah. um uh, to to manage it all so um so yeah so they, they we did that and um as I said we were very very fortunate this time around we had one embryo that was it like the first round we'd had four and mm. this one we only had one and we were like, oh, this is this is this is not going to work. This is just not going to work. Like, and they on they took out the other uh, embryos that were frozen. None of them made it. So we had one. Yeah. We had one embryo. That was it. We got it to blastocyst stage, which is like day five or six, and uh, went for the the, tran- the the transfer. Which, as I said, like they were willing to have put in maybe four or five if I needed if I if I could have done but it didn't work out that way so just one so we were like this is never gonna work this is not gonna work like it's not possible and how did did. you feel then when like Uh, when they were doing that transfer and you were just thinking god there's a tiny 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 chance here like what was that yeah I just I I think I've probably kind of come to that sort of realization that it was very unlikely at that stage I think 
we were sort of really sort of set on fostering. We were like, okay, yeah, look, you know, I I still would love to foster actually. Um, it's something I plan to do at some stage. Um, down the line, things are a little bit less. Um, yeah, up in the air, but uh, yeah, I kind of got myself into that sort of frame of mind, and you know, mm. um, fostering is an amazing thing to do, and I had sort of gone right, okay, you know, like I don't need this child to be mine. It doesn't need like as in mine as in biological. It doesn't like I don't. Yeah doesn't need to happen that way like we definitely wouldn't have been able to afford adoption on it I would have I have issues around adoption just from an ethical point of view and, and just a few like I have family members who were adopted and stuff like that so that like yeah there's just stuff with that that I, I would have had to have dealt with and whatever but so we were there and it's like okay so this is not likely to happen we'll go to fostering that's 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 fine it's not even a plan b that's a good plan a like it's fine so yeah, so you have your baby on board, is, is how you describe it, once uh, they're in. And, yeah, I just go around, like, I was always, like, talking to it, like, and sort of going, like, so this is milk, and, like, I'm going to have my lunch now, so you're going to have your lunch now, because I'm having my lunch now, and you just be chatting away and uh, kind of going, like, I might as well enjoy the two weeks while I have them, or have it, it's only the one. Um, And, no, it stuck, and it kept sticking, but I didn't believe it. And I didn't think it was going to. And the entire pregnancy, I won't say like it was horrible, but it was pretty horrendous. Um, because I also developed from the drug protocol, um, what they call drug-induced osteoporosis. So okay. I could barely walk. I was wow. really, really, really bad. Pain-wise was awful um, for the first 20 weeks. And then it started to, because it could wean me off some of the, the meds I was on after that. Um but it was awful. For that first 20 weeks was just terrible because I thought I was going to miscarry and I was in dire pain. Um, but obviously, like anybody who's been through that will say, like, it's totally worth it. Totally worth it. Do it again mm. in a heartbeat. You know, you will. And that's just like, I don't even think about that too often, to be honest. Um, yeah, mm. totally worth it. Um, and we went to get a gender scan then around about 22 weeks and found out we were having a girl. And it was only at that point, I think it started to feel a little bit more real. Mm. Uh, but I was still still very worried and it was only really tissues in my arms that I believed it you know yeah. it was incredible really really incredible mm. really <laughs> <laughs> now I know that you had a tough time after birth as well you had uh, quite a bad tear and ended up with um, postnatal depression yes I was induced and that just didn't go well at all, as they often can. Um, yeah, it was a really difficult labour. Um, almost twenty-four hours, and very difficult because she was in she she's posterior, so she kind of was not in the right position as well. So it was just painful. Yeah. It was just a bit ugh, and it ended up with a forceps delivery, mm-hmm. um, which was obviously again not not great, not ideal. Um, and yeah, so I ended up with a third degree tear, but. The difficulty was I wasn't ever told that. Oh. <laughs> so I had a, a I had an episiotomy, a third degree tear. I knew about the, the epi, obviously. Yes. How would you not be the stitches and all the rest of it? But they didn't tell me about the tear. And so for about at least eight months after the birth, I was in agony, and I didn't know why. And they kept telling me I needed to increase my fiber. <laughs> it's like what like this happened after birth like this wasn't there before birth and Mm. it's now there after birth so surely but no no one seemed to piece it together and nobody got in my notes from it was all over the place and so I'd gone for colonoscopies and all this kind of stuff before finally I found out 
had a third degree tear. And what Which kind is, of symptoms were you suffering with then? You said you couldn't walk, but like, was it all just pain or you weren't able to go to the toilet or toilets oh my god it was just the most horrific experience yeah. I like I was breastfeeding and uh even sitting down to breastfeed was painful mm. and then like having to 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 go for a bowel movement um I would I'd have to steal myself up for it like I really would have to just kind of like, right okay okay gonna have to go now you're gonna have to go on it and go do and I was taking all the stool softeners I could possibly get so like you know it was just as, as, as soft as it could be. Mm. And I would scream when I'd go. I would scream. I'll never forget it. It was horrendous. Mm. And no one seemed to take me seriously when I was trying to explain this. this Surely to God, this can't be normal. And then afterwards, I'd literally lie on the bed for nearly an hour. I'd have a, a sits, sits, what do you call that? Sits the bath, bath yeah. Little, yeah, I'd, I'd try that. I'd try witch hazel. I'd try everything to kind of calm the, the the pain of it down but it would take at least an hour for it to kind of subside afterwards like it was just horrendous like it was absolutely horrendous um and yeah it, it was almost a year I think really before that kind of healed up but obviously I was going through that my little girl had then managed to get some sort of an abscess on her chest within three weeks so she's only three weeks old and she ended up in hospital then for two weeks. And they thought she might have had like MRSA or some sort of a bug. It was like this egg shape um, abscess mm. on her chest. And she's only a tiny baby. So she was very, very poorly um, and on IV antibiotics. And because obviously I was breastfeeding, I had to stay with her. There was no bed. I was on a rollout thing. Yeah. Still very, very pained after the birth and stuff like that. And not getting any care for myself, not being fed, even though I was breastfeeding. I couldn't leave the room and stuff like that. So... Oh, I went through hell with that. I didn't get the support I needed, and I, I ran out. My milk ran out, and I had to get pumps and do it all myself, and really self advocate. And it was really hard and horrendous because I was just worried my baby was going to die. You know, mm. it was really dreadful. So all of that combined, I think it was pretty much inevitable mm. that um, I I would end up um, experiencing some some uh, mental health difficulties. So I mean. I remember saying to my GP, look, I can't, this is, this is really bad. Like I'm really, I, I can't leave the house. I'm, I'm afraid to go out. Mm. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And she referred me to psychiatry in the local hospital who listened to me and then just wrote me a prescription and said, here you go. And I was like, can you tell me what's wrong with me? Mm. They were like, oh, right. Yes. Postnatal depression. Like, oh, okay. Thank you. And away I went. Um, so that was a prescription now, for you- antidepressants? Yeah, an antidepressant. Didn't even tell me, didn't even tell me what was wrong with me. Just like, there you go. Wow. Okay, right. Yeah, it was like, I mean, from like, it was, yeah, pretty, pretty shoddy stuff, really. Um, And not uncommon. Like, I've spoken to lots of mums who've had pretty similar experiences outside of Dublin. Um, Now, I still feel it was like a postnatal anxiety as opposed to depression, but I don't think this, I wouldn't, semantics, whatever, like, um, Mm. but didn't get time to really find out because um, within about a month of that, I found out I was pregnant again. <laughs> Which is just mad. After all that. <laughs> How the it's hell the did that happen? mad thing ever. I, I, we call it the Immaculate Conception. I'm definitely not a Catholic. Um, <laughs> but if you're ever going to, because like, I mean, like aside from the fact that obviously there was all that going on, like we, we definitely know there was literally one time. <laughs> yeah. know that I mean I'm impressed fact. there was one time after <laughs> yeah yeah no and me too through. like I think it must have been his birthday or something. I don't know I felt really <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah so like she was like what six months old 
um, we had sex one time. You know, like, you know, this is the, the hilarious part of it. Like, you know, like I've gone through all that infertility stuff. Like, yeah. for, it was like five years at that point by the time we had her. And prior to all that, like, as any young woman does, like, you know, having fun before they get settled down or whatever, you know, really terrified of getting pregnant, you yeah. know, and all the rest of it. Like, and of course, I, I realised that it was probably a complete waste of time. Never mind. Could have had so much more fun. <laughs> uh, no, I'm joking. I'm very much joking. Um, but do you know what I mean? Like, you know, read like all of those things. Like, and then like to go through all of that and then find like literally one time, that one time was it and we weren't trying and we definitely didn't want to have another baby at that point and I wasn't ready and we weren't ready and financially we were actually very not ready Mm. um because obviously we'd we'd gotten a loan for the the first IVF and we had a mortgage and um 2008 had hit so uh, I think it was 2009 um that I was pregnant on my son and I found out like, three months into it. Like I didn't find out straight away because I never for a moment thought I could possibly be pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember feeling sick. I remember feeling bits and pieces or whatever, but like I, I just was like, this is probably the meds or it's something or it's whatever. Yeah. Never even occurred to me for a moment I could be pregnant. And I remember being down at the GP, she was following up on something and she wanted to give me something. I can't even remember what it was, but some sort of a strong med. And she's like, look, I need to do a pregnancy test before, before you do that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do, I have loads of them at home. Cause like people going through IVF and stuff have like tons yeah. of ovulation sticks and pregnancy. I said, I've tons of them still at home. It's grand. I'll take one when I get back. I didn't actually, I couldn't find any. I'd obviously use them all up. Um, I, put, I pretty much tested every week during my pregnancy, even when I had a bump out here and I was kicking. So yeah. I still like, it's, yeah, it's just the way your, your brain works. But, so I remember like I would never have bought like a cheap test. I would always have spent the money, even though I know now that's absolute waste of time and money. They're, they're all the same thing. But mm. you know, I would never have gone for a cheapy test. But I remember buying a real cheap test in Asda because we lived near to Inniskillen. And uh, I remember like about to get in the shower. We were going to see my baby niece had just been born. We were going down to see her um, and her mum, obviously. And uh, saying, right, OK, I'll just pee on the stick. I'll get in the shower. It's grand. It's fine. So I peed on the stick and I nearly forgot about it. I was just about to get into the share and I looked and it, it was a positive. Like, and I was like, what the, what, what? Like, you know, like, no, no, no. I ran, I went back and I got a couple more and did them and they were positive. And my husband wasn't home. And um, I just remember ringing him saying, you need to get back. <laughs> you need to get back right now. And uh, come in the door. I said, guess who's pregnant? And so he went through like, my, my family members, he went through my friends, he went through, like, my mother, you know, like, anybody, anybody but me, like, you know, and, like, just saying, like, apparently I'm pregnant, so we went for, um, we went to the hospital that night, uh, the A&E, and uh, they were very good, and gave me a scan, and they were like, yeah, you're 12 weeks. Wow. Like, or, you know, you were 11 weeks and four days or something like that. So how Never old was your daughter like, at this stage? So she would have been around about nine months at that point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, like, you know, it was all like, oh my God, like, this is absolutely, like, it, it, it was brilliant, but like, uh, I suppose the realities of it then started to kick in. It was like, okay, well, you know, I, I'm, I don't personally feel like I'm in a good place for a baby. And um, financially, we are definitely not, my husband had been made redundant and was in and out of work. He was getting bits of work here and there. Um, I had already had to have maternity leave cut short because he was out of work and I'd had to go back and it was all mm. like you know finances wise we were really 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 not great but like at the same time it was like you couldn't have wished for this like this is like movie material sort of stuff like, mm. obviously not really but in my life it's movie material and 
you know, obviously that was, that was, it was just, there was nothing else to think about. But again, I suppose it kind of brought me back to that idea of like, you know, whether like, you know, well, abortion, but only in certain circumstances and stuff like that. And you're just like, yeah, until you live that and until you're there, uh, sorry, now that's just bullshit. You know, I just call it at that point, like, you know, I had another little girl in front of me in my arms mm. to think about, mm. you know, like, how am I going to feed her? How am I going to dress her? How am I going to make sure we can keep this roof over her head uh, pay for her school and her college and other. So there's all these things going through your head or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, so like it was for us, it was like, OK, no, we, we, we definitely want this baby. And and mm. we're so glad. And it was great. But I can very much, again, put myself in the shoes of somebody else who would just feel like, no, like I think if I had had no problem getting pregnant, I may have, may have uh, thought very differently. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I don't know. Um, but it, it very much sort of framed how I felt, I guess, about abortion. Then after that, you know, that kind yeah. of way. Um, very much a wanted baby like as like no we all know that nobody wants to end a pregnancy for no reason like mm. for the crack you know there's always reasons and um for me that was a very strong one because within a year and a half of that we had lost our house yeah. you know so you know it, it like it's that's i'm not blaming my son for that obviously there was a mm. lot of things going on and the recession we probably would have lost our house even if we hadn't had our son um but it definitely impacted and compounded everything and, mm. and you know, maternity leave and, and all the rest of it. Like, so it was a really, really difficult time financially um, and definitely not a great time for babies, yeah. you know, that kind of way. But, um, you know, we were also just, I couldn't believe it. Like, we were thrilled. <laughs> like, it's like, what the hell is going on? It's amazing. Um, yeah, so Immaculate Conception, Miracle... <laughs> I don't know. I think my dad used to say it's like a two for one from the IVF. Like yeah, um, the bonus. Yeah, I got no credit whatsoever. Put it that way. No. like nobody gave me personally any credit. You did nothing. <laughs> um, so we joke with the kids now, like you know, like Lola knows she's uh, an IVF baby, like so she knows that she has to pay her way. Whereas my son gets away scot-free, like he'll be sent off to college and I'll pay for that scot yeah. and I'll have to pay her own way. And she'll have to provide my pension because I don't have one now and I've nothing to leave them. Sorry about that, but like you'll have to like look after us. Like you particularly, not him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stop it. We joke about it now. But, uh, yeah. So this is a, a number of years ago now, obviously, uh, and you've gone mm-hmm. on to um, study politics and law and gender studies and all this stuff. Um and you were very active in the repeal, in the campaign to repeal the 8th, obviously. So do you think that you would have ended up going into politics? You're now a, a local councillor for the Social Democrats. Do you think that you would have gone into politics if it wasn't for the various experiences that you've been through? And not just with fertility and health stuff, but obviously with the house as well. Sure. Yeah, like, I mean, there's no doubt, I think... It's almost like my life was like, I just always think of it like I was on a train going in a direction and then this happened, like losing the house, I suppose, was the main catalyst. And I just, it's almost like we jumped tracks mm. and headed off in an entirely different direction. And um, so, no, I doubt very much. I had absolutely no interest in politics whatsoever um, prior to all of that. I, you know, the, the, the recession and the austerity that followed really did politicise me. It's one of these things, I know it's like cliched and, and all the rest of it, but these things do shape you and they do make you who you are. And I've managed somehow or another to survive them. Um, I feel like at least I'm trying to do something. I said, like, I've always said that, like, you know, I, we lost our house. So, like, I've nothing to leave my kids now. We're never going to have our own house. We know that. Like, um, So for me, trying to make some differences um, 
whatever or however that is 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 really where my heart is at now and my head is at like mm. whether that's as a counselor maybe in the future that's as a policymaker whether that's uh, with an NGO I'm not really sure but that's definitely where I, I I hope to make some difference and I don't care if that's very cliched but I do I'd like to make some difference that my kids don't have the hardships that we've all had to experience yeah you know? I know obviously the Social Democrats have their kind of views of what the healthcare system should look like. Um, <laughs> but thinking about... <laughs> Very different, yes. yes. Yeah. So thinking about um, your own experiences and I know that you've had continued uh, struggles with your gynecological health or if, if you can call it that, after the two births of your kids as well. Yeah. Um, what would you like for your daughter um, when she grows up, if you look at the healthcare system in Ireland, how would you yeah. like it to change? Um, well, universal access is a number one. As I said, like I got, I had health insurance the first time around, and I even had private uh, health insurance. I had private doctor for my first birth. Um, but of course, that had all gone by the time the second guy came along. Mm. Um, so I was through the public system and now in fairness, the public system was, was great. Like we got very well looked after through maternity, but everything else is just pants, isn't it? Like it's really mm. pants. Um, so universal access. So like irrespective of what's in your pocket or in your bank account, if you have an issue with your health, you'll get seen and you'll get seen in a timely manner. Like that, that has to be priority for whatever it is. Um, the second thing would be, obviously, I would definitely um, be in favour of providing financial support to couples who are experiencing infertility. It's mm. an incredibly expensive uh, treatment. And, you know, WHO do diagnosis infertility as a disease and it's treated as a health matter. Um, but the state here doesn't recognise it as that really. Mm. Um, so then you've got a case where, you know, you've got people who can access money, can borrow money or have maybe wealth themselves or parents or whatever can help them out or whatever and then you have a lot of group of people who just can't access it at all and that's not right like there shouldn't be again it's, it's an access issue so there has to be support and like pretty much every other european country does and um, it shouldn't take 11 years to get diagnosed with endometriosis like <laughs> i mean like that's just like women experiencing pain and for whatever reason like we know it's, it's endo. there's loads of other conditions and um, I mm. also have fibromyalgia and um, a few other things so that's good crack um, but like having a level of seriousness taken with women's pain mm. I think there needs to be a, a real massive mindset change in regards to that we, it's just not taken seriously for me it was like are you trying to get pregnant you know you're experiencing really heavy really nasty periods and it got really bad after I'd had um, Leon like really really bad um, stopped me for working and, and doing anything for at least a year afterwards it was really really bad and then not getting the care for that it was like so you're not trying to get pregnant therefore you're just gonna either just put you on the pill or it's up to you that's it that's all you get there's no, nothing else like where there are other options like but research into those kinds of conditions is you know still to this day majorly under-resourced compared to other um other problems whether they're like i mean the, the, the amount of money that goes into like um ejaculation problems and stuff like that in comparison yeah exactly you know, I know. You know like it's it's crazy stuff how are you feeling now and how's your your health um not too bad actually um mental health's been a bit dodged this year i think most people have and um, we were only talking yeah. about that beforehand homeschooling i found that really really stressful trying to to balance work and school i have a little our little boy has additional needs so 
it was um, very difficult for him to see the sort of social regression and stuff like that. And mm. But generally speaking, yeah, my fibromyalgia is kind of controlled a little bit now. And um, uh, yeah, like the, the gynae stuff um, is, is pretty good. I, I had surgery um, for the for the endometriosis and I've had some problems with cysts and stuff like that since and a few ops for that I had tons of ops at this point like but they mm. thankfully I'm very lucky that they do seem to work for a time and I do yeah. get relief now as a result of that the marina coil is, is is really helping and I know that doesn't always work for everybody else you know so I'm very fortunate that um currently that's kind of keeping things at bay but like I'm always very wary you know I know it's going to come at some point. Like it'll, mm. it'll reoccur again. Um, I'm very lucky. I have a really great um, gynecologist now who um, has always listened to me. From day one, she took me seriously. She understood where I was coming from and um, vowed to get on top of this. And she mm. has. And I'm just so grateful to her. Um, so very grateful to her. Um, That's really nice to that. hear. It's so yeah. easy to fall into this um, negativity trap of because obviously on a podcast like this you're going to talk about a lot of the bad experiences and there are a yes. lot of those but yeah. there are a lot of brilliant brilliant people out there as well there so. really are and that's it you know like I think that's the problem we we have and I think everybody actually has the potential to be really brilliant in the healthcare system but they're working within a system that treats them like shit doesn't pay them well enough that mm. is so severely under resourced like I don't know how you'd have the headspace um you know, and a lot of them don't. Like that's just the reality of it. Like they're working in awful conditions. Um, you know, we've got student nurses now not get paid again. You're just like, mm. oh, this is just, it's awful. And then we're like, oh, we're losing all our our, our good people to different countries. Yeah, that why like why would you not like? Yeah, of course we are. Like who'd want to work in that? Like it's such a broken system. We we have a long way to go, I think. You know, mm. um, but we are making some headways, I guess, and that's nice. And we should celebrate those wins. But like, there's a huge amount of get. I think a lot of people just think like things like, oh, you know, we don't need feminism anymore, and everything's fine. <laughs> it's all great. You're well, like, really, really. <laughs> I think if coronavirus isn't showing up, the inequalities that exist, particularly for parents and for mothers, yeah. Um, or those that are caring for the child primarily, mm. uh, I don't know what will. That was Carly Bailey on Bits of Me. You can follow her on Twitter at Carly E. Bailey underscore or on Facebook where there's a page for counsellor Carly Bailey. If you like Bits of Me, please share an episode on your socials, rate and review it, and subscribe on your choice of podcast platform. If there are issues you'd like to see covered, you can send me a message on Instagram at bitsofme underscore podcast or on Twitter at bitsofme underscore pod. Thanks for listening.